Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton, a 19-year-old from the Bay Area studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She Persisted is the teen mental health podcast made for teenagers by a teen. In each episode, I'll bring you authentic, accessible, and relatable conversations about every aspect of mental wellness. You can expect evidence-based teen-approved resources, coping skills, including lots of DBT, insights, and education in each piece of content you consume. She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. This week on She Persisted. I coach so many people with ADHD and the ones with the milder cases often have a hard time accepting their diagnosis because they feel like, well, I don't have it as bad as so-and-so, but it for sure is a spectrum. And no matter where you fall on that spectrum, you deserve support. You deserve treatment. You deserve to reach out for help because all this treatment and support does is level the playing field. It doesn't give you a leg up. It just levels the playing field so that the starting line is where you're starting and not way, way back. Hello, hello, and welcome back to She Persisted. If you're new, welcome. I'm Sadie. I'm the host of She Persisted. I'm from the University of Pennsylvania studying psychology. I started She Persisted after going to a year and a half of intensive treatment for severe depression and anxiety. I'm really trying to create the resource that I wish I had when I was struggling because so many teens and young adults struggle with mental health. It's not talked about enough. There aren't enough resources for teens by teens. So that's where I come in. And today's episode is a very important topic and one that I know you guys are going to like because one of my most downloaded episodes is about ADHD. So we're doing almost like a part two. We're following up. We're diving more into ADHD, adult ADHD, and what you can do to manage ADHD. And our expert today that we're looping into this convo is Kristen Carter. She is an ADHD expert, top podcast host, and an internationally recognized mindset coach for adults with ADHD. What is really unique is that Kristen works with adults with ADHD. A lot of the time we hear about ADHD through the context of kids and they get diagnosed in childhood. But there are so many adults that realize they have ADHD later on in life and then don't have the skill set to navigate this. So this is where Kristen comes in. She has experience struggling with ADHD herself, which she touches on in this episode. She has over 10 years of experience studying ADHD and teaching her clients evidence-based skills to help them navigate ADHD, be effective in coping with the symptoms. And we also talk about how to recognize if you do have ADHD, symptoms that not everyone is talking about, symptoms that are more common in adulthood for teens and especially in women. I am so excited for this episode. I left this conversation just in awe of Kristen and all of the insight that she had. I immediately went to my siblings and was like, you have to listen to this episode when it comes out because anyone with ADHD can benefit from this conversation. So send it to a friend or family member that you know that has ADHD or knows someone with ADHD or wants to support someone with ADHD because this episode has a ton of info and taught me a lot as well. So with that, let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. I'm so excited to have you on She Persisted and to talk all things ADHD. Thank you for having me. I can't wait. Of course. So I'd love to start with your background and why you decided to specialize in ADHD and what got you started working in the mental health field. Mm. So I have ADHD myself, and about 15 years ago, I owned a learning center in my hometown, 
And I just loved working with students who had ADHD. But even more than that, I loved talking to their parents and I loved helping their parents find resources because especially at the time, 15 years ago, there was not much available for adults with ADHD. It was really Mm -hmm. considered a childhood disorder. And the more that I kind of went down that rabbit hole of helping adults with ADHD, the more I realized that we really are an underserved community. There is such a huge segment of the population of adults with ADHD who are just underserved. And so I started my podcast at the very beginning of 2019 and have never turned back since. I have been coaching since then and have absolutely loved working with adults. It's the best. I love that. My first thing that I want to ask you that you just touched on is the difference between ADHD and adults and kids and when you kind of see that shift in presentation. So what can listeners be aware of or even parents of of teens and the difference in presentations and then when that you kind of see that shift between childhood mm-hmm. presentations and more adulthood presentations of ADHD yeah you know we don't do a great job in the mental health field right now supporting adults with ADHD and that even goes down to the diagnostic process so the DSM-5 was created the specific criteria around diagnosing ADHD is created for children. So there is no criteria right now for diagnosing adults. They just use the criteria that they have for children, which is really just a big fat shame, if you ask me. And I think that for most people, we have a stereotypical stigma in our head of what ADHD looks like, which is like a little white boy in the classroom, kind of bouncing off the walls, maybe being a little, you know, loud with the teacher and interrupting his classmates. But really, ADHD is so much more than that. And so if someone in their teens is struggling with disorganization, chronic stress, chronic overwhelm, inability to manage things and, you know, be able to kind of like juggle all of the balls, so to speak, those are really good things to look out for because so much of what children have to go through, their parents help them. It's very age appropriate. It's very developmentally appropriate for a parent to help a kiddo remember their homework, you know, make sure the forms are filled out, all of that. But as the support system is lessened because the person is aging out of it developmentally, that's when usually things start to fall apart, you know? So if it's not age appropriate for your mommy to be like cleaning your room anymore, and now your room is a disaster, Mm -hmm. like that is a really one of those things that you can look for. So for me personally, that looked like forgetting shifts at work constantly. I could never keep a calendar. I could never keep a schedule. I could never just keep things straight. My car was always trashed. My room was always trashed. I couldn't, I never had like a pencil in class. I was always the one that was like, can I borrow a pencil? I would sit in the classroom and watch my friends fill out their planners. And I I remember so distinctly thinking, how in the world are you like color coding that and writing everything down? Meanwhile, everything was like a dumpster fire in my backpack. So those kinds of things while obviously not diagnostic criteria, can really give you some red flags as to like, there might be something deeper going on here. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And I think very helpful for teens to be aware of, especially Mm -hmm. if they didn't 
go through that diagnostic process as a kid or they didn't necessarily have an awareness of those childhood symptoms like you mentioned because they're maybe their parents did jump mm-hmm. in and offer more support for parents is it effective to offer that extra support or do you find with adults it's then like oh my gosh but then you don't have these skills or you didn't mm-hmm. know early enough so now you're learning the skills later in life like for parents listening what are your thoughts if there's either a teen that is undiagnosed or diagnosed? That's such a beautiful question. So I would first say that a diagnosis is so helpful because it gives you information. It just allows you to see through a much clearer lens what's going on and the root cause of all of the obnoxious symptoms that are coming up. Because that's the thing with ADHD is that the symptoms are really just kind of annoying. They're just really annoying. And another thing about it that is tricky is that every single human struggles with organization from time to time. Every single human struggles with emotional dysregulation from time to time. So the things that are actual diagnostic criteria for ADHD are things that the majority of the human race struggle with from time to time. But the difference is for an ADHDer, those symptoms are debilitating. Those symptoms are keeping them from reaching their potential. Those symptoms are keeping them from really being the fullest version of themselves. And so if you can, I always, always, always encourage people to get a diagnosis, even if you don't plan to medicate. So even if you're someone who's like, my child will absolutely never take a medication. It's still helpful to have the information because information is power and it can show you where to give support. It can show you where to give the structure and it can help you because I'm a parent. I have three kids. My oldest two have been diagnosed with ADHD. It's very hereditary and it helps me as a parent to understand they're not being defiant they don't just need to try harder. They actually need support. So then I can ask myself, okay, what support can I put in place so that they can function beautifully? Mm -hmm. You you asked like, should you support or should you kind of like teach them the skills? And I would say it's both, but as a very high functioning now adult with ADHD, I have so much support in place, so much support. Dr. Russell Barkley calls it scaffolding. We have to have that scaffolding of support so that we can really move forward really without having to worry about all of the organization, all of the problem solving, all of the time management, all of those things that for the typical brain, it just comes naturally. And for our brains, it doesn't. I love that. And I am definitely going to ask you about what those specific things were, but I loved what you mentioned about having a diagnosis because especially once you get into high school and college, that Mm -hmm. is what will allow you to get accommodations. Even if, like you mentioned, you're not medicating, if you don't have a diagnosis, you can't get those accommodations, whether it's extra time or any other scaffolding, like you mentioned, that is Mm -hmm. effective for you to stay organized and focused. That is really the key. And it can be so difficult to go through that process if you have a test next week and you're like, I really am struggling with this, whatever it is, the subject or the way Mm -hmm. that this teacher is structuring the test your study system for the test, it's not like an overnight thing. So I 100% Mm. agree with you to have that as an option if you need it as a really, really effective resource. Would you say that there is a spectrum of ADHD with less and more intense cases or is it like everyone just has the similar intensities of presentations? 
It's definitely a spectrum disorder. And that, again, can make it very tricky to diagnose. It often goes misdiagnosed or undiagnosed, especially in women and girls. And it is a spectrum disorder. It is, you know, there are some people with ADHD whose symptoms are debilitating. And it is, thankfully, in America covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so you can get accommodation and assistance with that. And then there are other people with more mild cases. And, you know, I coach so many people with ADHD and the ones with the milder cases often have a hard time accepting their diagnosis. They usually are struggling to really embrace the diagnosis because they feel like, well, I don't have it as bad as so-and-so, but it, it for sure is a spectrum. And no matter where you fall on that spectrum, you deserve support. You deserve treatment. You deserve to reach out for help because all this treatment and support does is level the playing field. Doesn't give you a leg up. It just levels the playing field so that the starting line is where you're starting and not way, way back. Yeah, I love that. I think one of the things about having a more mild case or less severe symptoms at any point in time is that all when I think about it, I'm like, this just means that there's a higher likelihood that these skills or scaffolding will work. Like it's Mm. a less of your case. So you're in a great position that when you implement these things, they will likely work because it's working for someone with a really severe case with more intense symptoms. Yeah. I love that perspective. So what is your advice for someone who's just gotten ADHD diagnosis? And like you mentioned, they're struggling to accept that. What are some common like emotions and thoughts Mm. and reasons that it's difficult to accept? And then what is your advice for navigating through that? Mm, that's a big question. I think yeah. that if I had like the three-step answer for that, it would just be incredible. But it is a very nuanced process because everyone approaches their diagnosis differently. So I have a, a really large coaching program. And when we get people in who are newly diagnosed, some people feel such a huge sense of relief and validation. They feel like, I knew there was something going on. I knew I wasn't just a terrible person. I knew that I wasn't just flawed. I knew there was something going on. And so some people feel so validated and so relieved. And then on the other end of that, there's people who experience a lot of grief and anger. You know, there are a lot of adults being diagnosed in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, imagine being 70 and getting an ADHD diagnosis and thinking about how your life would have been different if you had had that understanding and treatment earlier. So what I like to say to people is no matter what you experience emotionally when you are diagnosed, it's valid and your experience is valid. So if you're relieved and happy, perfect. If you're angry and feeling tons of regret. Perfect. It's supposed to feel this way. And then the journey of accepting it, it it can really take a while. You know, there's some flaws in our system when it comes to a diagnosis, because a lot of times the, the clinicians diagnosing, they don't even have a robust understanding of the diagnosis. And so it's very hard for a clinician who's had like 
a class on ADHD, maybe like one class period Mm -hmm. or, you know, one chapter in one textbook to really help educate their patient who is just being diagnosed. And so what I would say is make sure to be your own advocate and do all kinds of research. There's so much available to us right now, podcasts and just research on the internet and so many great books out there. So I would just say like, start doing a deep dive and, and begin to learn more about it. Because when I first, so I was diagnosed at the age of 21, but it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I really started to research ADHD and read about it. And when I started reading about it, I was so struck by all of the things that I hated about myself were actually just symptoms of ADHD. So the fact that I was late all the time, oh, that's a symptom of ADHD. I didn't know that. I was that. late for this call. I don't have an ADHD <laughs> diagnosis, but I was late for this interview. Full disclaimer. Full disclosure. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of grace for that because I'm usually the one that's late. I appreciate that. So the fact that I'm like late all the time or the fact that I interrupt people or that I'm emotionally explosive, like those are actual diagnostic criteria, symptoms of ADHD. And so when I began to uncover that and really accept like, oh, this permeates every area of my life from the boardroom to the bedroom. Like that's what I like to say from the boardroom to the bedroom, it's going to permeate every area of your life. Then you can begin to kind of forgive yourself for the way that you've shown up in the last decade or two or three and, and really move forward with a better understanding of who you are. What are some of your favorite resources out there for people that are starting their research process, whether it's a book, podcast, obviously Mm. you have your show, which I'll link in the show notes, Mm. but what are your favorite things to direct people to if they're starting from ground zero? Yeah. So obviously my podcast is a great resource. It's the top rated podcast for ADHD. And I think a lot of people, when they first start listening, feel really seen and validated, you know? which I think is really important because it can feel very isolating at first. Some of my favorite books are Taking Charge of Adult ADHD by Dr. Russell Barkley. That's a really good one. ADHD 2.0 by Ned Hallowell is fantastic. Those two, I would say if, I mean, I could give like a really long list, but that wouldn't be helpful. I think those two are the best. I know this sounds really dumb, but like I wouldn't discount like TikTok I think a lot of people are learning a lot on TikTok. I like to Mm -hmm. joke that I've been studying ADHD way before it was trending on TikTok. And I'm not even on TikTok because I'm a grown up and I just can't handle it. But I know that a lot of people are gaining understanding and acceptance and just more and more knowledge through people sharing their experience on, on social media platforms. And even though it seems like, well, there could be a lot of like misinformation, there's also really good information out there. And so if you find yeah. people that you trust, you know, well-educated, certified type people, I wouldn't discount that because that could be really helpful too. I 100% agree. I will definitely leave all of those in the show notes. I think that's really helpful recommendations to start Mm -hmm. because there is so much information out there and it's so overwhelming trying to figure out which direction to begin with. And I'm sure even when you get a diagnosis, your doctor will be like, okay, here's a giant pamphlet or here's some links for things to look at. And it's like, okay, this is a lot of information. But I love that you provided a lot of different mediums to kind of interpret that information and then also some really validating and understanding ways of processing through that diagnosis. 
Yeah. And you know, a good ADHD coach can help you with that too. And, you know, I struggle with like, sometimes I'm annoyed that ADHD is so trendy right now, but then also there's a lot of good coming out of it. And one of the good things coming out of it is there's a lot of coaches being trained to support people with ADHD and coaching changed my life. And it's changed, you know, thousands of people that I've worked with. I know that coaching can be an amazing medium for those who have access to to the funds for it, it is so powerful to have someone else kind of take your hand and lead you through a journey. It's very, very validating. I think so many adults with ADHD have felt isolated for so long and and feel or experience a lot of shame. And a really good coach can help you kind of unpack that. And it's very freeing. Yeah, 100%. Today's episode is brought to you by Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is BetterHelp's online therapy program for teens. They have over 14,000 licensed therapists within their network, and they offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and so much more. You guys know that therapy was a huge part of my mental health journey. It's a resource that was absolutely essential for me to recover, maintain my mental health, improve my emotion regulation, distress tolerance, all of the things. So if you would like to try meeting with a therapist or find a new therapist to meet with, you can go to teencounseling.com slash persisted. They offer talk, text, and video counseling all from your home, so no need to be on a super long wait list to find a therapist. They will also meet you exactly where you're at with what level of support you're looking for. To check out Teen Counseling, you can go to teencounseling.com slash persisted to find a therapist that meets your needs today. I'm sure this is a difficult question to answer, Mm. but do you have any ideas or reasons that you've heard from clients and within your community as to why ADHD is so trendy right now? Do you think it's because we spent so much time online? It wasn't as engaging. I literally honestly have no idea, but what are your thoughts there? Because it really is like blowing up as a hot topic on TikTok. I know, it totally is. I I have a couple of thoughts about it. I think that the statistics right now for the percentage of the population that's diagnosed with ADHD, I think is around three to 4% of children are diagnosed. I believe that that is most likely an underdiagnosis. I think there's a lot more people with ADHD than have been diagnosed. And I think that goes back to all of the symptoms of ADHD are pesky symptoms or things that people struggle with, you know, every now and again. But now that we have so much access to information and anyone can go and Google the symptoms of ADHD or anyone can go and listen to a podcast on ADHD, there are so many more people advocating for themselves. There are so many people saying, wait a second, I don't think it's anxiety that I have, or I don't think it's depression that I have, or I don't think it's bipolar that I have. I think it's actually ADHD. And so there are so many adults walking into clinicians' offices with a list of symptoms saying like, I've circled all the ones that I have, and I really think that this is what's going on. And so I think it's a result of self-advocacy. And I think we're seeing an upswing in diagnoses because of access to information that we haven't always had. And the cynics, and I'm rolling my eyes right now, but the (laughs) cynics, you know, will kind of roll their eyes and say like, oh, everyone has ADHD or everyone's on medication. That's not true. I think there are a lot of people out there in the world undiagnosed. There's a lot of people in my family undiagnosed. So like, 
there's so many people who have ADHD who just have never pursued a diagnosis. And I think that if everyone were to be evaluated, which wouldn't that be amazing if that yeah. were like a requirement that everyone had a psychological evaluation, like by the time you're 30, that would be incredible. Or even just in elementary school, like oh as part gosh. of like standardized testing, you also yes. did we neuropsych. It would Come be amazing. On, it would be incredible. I think we would see so many. I think the actual stat is probably around 10 to 15%. Yeah. That's that's my thought. Which when you think about it, like when people are like everyone has ADHD, 10 to 15% isn't a crazy amount of the no. population. No. Like it's like what, one in four, one in five people have struggled right. with depression. That's a much higher percentage. And so totally. I think to say that every single person has it really isn't accurate, especially when you look at the numbers and even considering how many people might be undiagnosed. Yeah, totally. So I'd love to kind of give people some recommendations and a toolkit they can pull from for mm. creating the scaffolding for themselves in their life mm. and trying to cope with these different symptoms and improve their effectiveness and become high functioning and really just set themselves up for success. So are there a couple different symptoms or areas that you think would be helpful to touch on, whether it's procrastination, maybe it's mm. losing track of time, maybe it's emotional regulation? What would you say are the top three to four areas that people start with? You know, it's so interesting. I would say if I had to pick one that mm -hmm. permeated every single area, it would be emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. Because when you talk about procrastination, the reason why we procrastinate is because of an emotion. Yeah. We're procrastinating because we're feeling dread or shame or boredom or whatever. So I think if I could just be bossy and say the number one thing to explore is identifying and processing your emotions. Mm -hmm. That would make you so powerful. I used to feel overwhelmed all day, every day. And because of that, I was very, very low functioning. I couldn't hold a job. I yelled at my kids a lot. I could not perform at the level of my intellect. So I knew I'm really smart, but my performance is quite low, which is actually a diagnostic, you know, that's something that people look for when they're diagnosing ADHD. And I was constantly stressed and overwhelmed. Once I learned to manage my emotions, it changed everything for me. Once I learned to allow overwhelm to be in my body without feeling like I had to escape from it, but just really processing it through. Once I allowed stress in my body, once even anxiety, all of these negative emotions that I thought meant that I was doing it wrong. Oh, if I'm feeling stressed, I'm doing it wrong. If I'm feeling anxious, I'm doing it wrong. No, you're just human. <laughs> yeah. You're actually you're actually doing it right. If you weren't doing it, it would be really a big problem. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? So really, I think that that would be the one thing that could change everything. And so, you know, if there's somebody listening who's like wondering what what is one thing that I can do, I would say begin to identify how you're feeling in different moments throughout your day. Because I have ADHD hyperactive type, I am not one that has ever wanted to meditate ever for one second in my entire life. Like mindfulness sounds like the worst thing in the world mm -hmm. to me. But if you can figure out like what I do is I go for a hike 
and I try to tune in to what I'm feeling. And so the movement of walking and now, because I am just like a 41 year old woman who does not care, I take weights and I walk I like it. a, <laughs> I'm like the mom of all moms. <laughs> My kids are so embarrassed. You're like, you will do this one day. You will be doing your arm weights, okay? So get over it. <laughs> and sometimes I even wear a fanny pack and then they are fanny dying. Fanny packs are really they, functional. That's okay? what I think too. They fit everything. They're I can the... put my Kindle and my phone in there. Like, the that's best. crazy. They're the best. So I get my little fanny pack on and I get my weights and I go for a hike and really trying to tune into my body and let the emotion process allows me to function so much better. And so another thing that is really, really, really helpful and also helpful in processing your emotions is if you just do a thought download. The woman who wrote the book, The Artist's Way, she came up with the concept of morning pages, which is essentially you wake up in the morning and you just start free writing and you write three pages. That practice has helped me so much with regulating myself, with regulating my emotions, with being able to observe my thoughts. And ADHD is a disorder of self-regulation. So it is the inability to regulate your behaviors and your emotions. And so inability to regulate your behavior and your emotion means that you're out of control. And that's how most ADHDers feel is out of yeah. control. And so if you can begin to slow down, thought download as much as possible, I do not do it every morning, but sometimes I do it before bed so I can sleep. Sometimes I do it in the morning so that I can start my day. Sometimes I do it in the middle of the day when I'm really triggered. But those two practices of thought downloading and then also beginning to tune into my emotions has been life-changing. I love that. Have you ever used the mood meter app? No. Tell okay. me. So what you do is you open it. My therapist told me about this and I bring it up all the time. So you love. open it and it says like, how do you feel? You click, I feel, and it has the four different quadrants that you <gasps> see for most emotions. So like high energy, unpleasant, high energy, pleasant, low energy, unpleasant, low energy, pleasant. So I might now say like low energy, pleasant, and then it breaks it down into all these squares. And every single one of these is an emotion. So it's like, I'm at ease. I'm chill. I'm thoughtful. I'm complacent, Aww. sleepy, I'm tranquil, peaceful, restful. And it, you like can exactly pinpoint and record it. Writing it's it down. Amazing. Recommending it's so helpful. to all of my clients. Love I that. love it. But like, it's hard to put names to these emotions, but you can mm -hmm. kind of pinpoint what energy level you're at mm. and then kind of like have it help you out with exactly mm. what you're feeling. So good. And then you can write that emotion at the top of your page and you can ask yourself, okay, why am I feeling calm? Mm -hmm. And just start writing, answer that question, feeling calm because da, 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 and get all of your thoughts out about that. It's especially helpful when you're feeling something a little more activating than yes. calm, like <laughs> frustrated. Okay. Well, why am I feeling frustrated? What's going on? What are what are all of the thoughts causing this? And then that will help you to kind of regulate your behavior and navigate through like what steps you want to take next. Yeah. For students that are struggling with ADHD, switching gears a little bit, what would be like one to two skills or tools you wish that all students had in their toolbox and were aware of when navigating tests and exams and studying and just the school system in general? 
This is such an interesting question because I pride myself in being the coach who doesn't do the tips and tricks (laughs) because I really feel like the tips and tricks are going to be different for everybody. Yeah. They really are. And all of my coaching goes back to managing emotions and understanding what thoughts you're having that are causing, you know, your emotion and actions. Like the root cause. The root cause. Yeah. I practice causal coaching, which is like essentially excavating to the root of like, okay, what, why are you stuck? Why are you procrastinating? Why aren't you taking action? Because ADHD is not a disorder of not knowing. We know what to do. Every, Mm -hmm. every, ADHD or knows exactly what to do. It's a it's a disorder of not being able to get yourself to do the thing that you know you need to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would say is whatever support is most helpful to you, take advantage of it. If it's therapy, if it's leaning on a friend, if it's making sure that you have text reminders for all of the different things that you're doing. But I think that we have so much shame around our struggle, that we think we should, major air quotes here, we should be able to do it without help. My friends don't need the help, so why should I have to use it? And it's just really a shame-filled diagnosis in so many ways. And so cutting through that shame and taking advantage of whatever support it is. So if you struggle to finish tests on time and you need to ask for more time on the test, or if you need to make sure you're taking it in a room by yourself or using white noise or whatever the case may be, develop the skill of taking advantage of support. Yeah, That's the skill I would want everyone to develop. So as now, finally, a higher functioning ADHDer, I still have so much support. I lean on my coaches, my therapist, my husband, my friends, and I'm always the one on my team, you know, with my employees being like, where's that link? How do I do this thing? I like, I'm always the one that needs the support and I'm totally fine with it because when I am supported, I'm a rock star. And I think that's true of most ADHDers when they have the support that they need, they are really remarkable human beings. Yeah. That's so true. And I think there is so many ways that support can be integrated into the school system and into workplace environments and even at Mm -hmm. home. I know my sister a couple of weeks ago, she is ADHD and she has accommodations. She has extra time, but she was like, I don't know what to do because if I use my accommodations, I need the extra time, but then I take the test in the learning center. And if you take the test in the classroom, that teacher does that thing where she goes around and marks when you have a wrong answer. She's still in high school. This doesn't happen in college. They don't do that in college, but in high school, <laughs> they mark the wrong answers. She's like, if I take it in the learning center, I don't know what answers I got wrong. But if I take it in the classroom, I don't have enough time. And we were like, like, I don't know what to tell you. It's a tough situation, but it's still at a point where it's not fully integrated right. and it's not fully seamless to support someone in in the classroom as effectively as it could be. Totally. And it's such a disservice to so many intelligent people. It's yeah. such a disservice because our, I mean, our classrooms were never designed for neurodivergent people, obviously. And even the way the school system is set up and the school day and all of that, like it, it is a miracle that any of us are getting through it. But the more that you can incorporate those accommodations and especially movement. So adding in movement, if possible, to the task that you're, you're doing. And if your teacher is cool with that. So 
my kiddo, his teacher would always let him sit on top of his desk. And it was just so cool. Like not every teacher is going to do that, but that really helped him to just get out of like the rigidity of his chair, sit on top of his desk, lay under his desk. They had so much flexibility and it, it helped him so much. Yeah. I'm thinking of like walking pads. This is a trend on TikTok right now where people have all those walking pads under their desk. Oh my gosh, I want one so bad. They're I, like, ju- I literally bought so... a standing desk today and like next purchase is walking pads. I'm so excited. They literally look so cool. And I've, I'm on the side of TikTok where people put their Apple watches on their ankle so they get the steps from their walking pad. Oh, that is brilliant. Right? Because if it's on your hand, it doesn't track it. And I was like, oh my God, mind blown. So maybe by the time that you have kids or nieces and nephews or whatever, walking pads will be a thing in the classroom. They should be. They should Wouldn't that be. be incredible? It would be awesome. It would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom and insight and advice for teens and adults that are struggling. I know this episode will be so helpful. I'll mm-hmm. be sending it to my sister. I know she's going to love it. And I'm just so glad we got to do this. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Of course. Where can people find your podcast and follow along with you? So I host the I Have ADHD podcast. It is on all of your favorite podcast apps. And my website is IHaveADHD.com. So it's super simple. You can come hang out with me there. I am on Instagram. I'm too old to be on TikTok, but I am on Instagram. And my handle is at I Have ADHD podcast. I love it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of She Persisted. If you enjoyed, make sure to share with a friend or family member. It really helps out the podcast. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also make sure to follow along at at She Persisted Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok and check out all the bonus resources, content, and information on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. Thanks for supporting, keep persisting, and I'll see you next week.